This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Before we read uh, this morning's reading, let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You are our everything. And we just want to thank you and praise you for that this morning. Thank you that we can come into your house this morning to sing praises to your name, to worship you. And we do this so freely. And such a privilege that is. Father God, thank you for bringing each one of us into your house this morning. We just pray that you would humble our hearts now. Our hearts now. As we focus on you, we think of those who are not with us. May you meet them in their time of need. (coughs) Father God, we we take a moment to remember the family of our missionary, Frank Perry, as he is now with you. We ask for your comfort over over his family and his friends. May you guide them in, in the days ahead. Father God, as we, as we come to the end of 2023, may we reflect on the joy, the pain and suffering, the heartache, the new life, the new jobs, the new homes, the new adventures that have been experienced this year. And may, may we remember that it is you who sustained us. It's you who provided. It's you who comforted and gave us strength through that. So as we, as we stand at the door of 2024, we stand with hope, knowing that you are there, you're already there, and that you will, you will guide and direct our paths. May we take hold of you. May we go into this new year submitting to you and your will that you would guide and direct our hearts. And Father God, for those who will be making New Year's resolutions, we just pray that they would be God-centered and not self-centered. We just thank you for that. We lift up our church in this new year that you would give wisdom to the leadership, give wisdom to the pastors, May people's hearts and lives on this island be changed because of the beacon of light and hope that this church provides. And may you do a mighty work here in Bermuda. We pray too for the government this year. Just pray for wisdom, that they would turn to you and seek your will, Father God. We just thank you that you have placed them in their positions. Father God, we, we thank you for your word that's, that's going to be spoke, uh, read now. We ask for your blessing over it. We pray for Pastor Jamiko as he brings his message, your message to us this morning. May you humble our hearts and may we receive it in Jesus' precious name. I'd ask John to come up and uh, read for us this morning. Thank you. Good morning, church. Today's reading is from the book of James, chapter 2 verses 1 to 
to 13. My brothers, so show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you are dishonored, the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, we thank you for your word. Amen. Well, let, let me uh, begin with our, our quote this morning as we open up James from Abraham Lincoln. He said, I always, I've always found that mercy bears richer fruits than strict judgment. Quite the quote. How many of us today have ever received compassion or forgiveness for something when we deserve punishment for it? I expect that most of us probably would raise our hands and, and say, yes, I, I have received uh, mercy and, you know, where I've, I've maybe not or should not have had it. Um, my wife is, and I have recently become parents, but for those who have been parents for a long time, um, I'm sure you've had instances like this where a child does something, maybe breaks the vase or lies about not doing homework or is somewhere where they shouldn't be or gets into some trouble at school. Each of these situations are instances where your child deserves the appropriate level of judgment. Now think of moments where instead of punishing your child, you've shown them mercy. You've shown them forgiveness instead of coming down hard on them. Now don't get me wrong, there's still room for you to be disappointed and, and there's a level of judgment that does happen there and they need to be corrected. And that helps us show them that you know, they've done wrong. But I can, and imagine that in situations where you've shown mercy, that your child was initially stunned by, by your response. I can also imagine how loved your child felt as a result of, of getting that mercy instead of being lambasted by the harsh judgment that's required. Similar to how parents show mercy to their children, God shows us mercy when we don't deserve it. And we're going to see examples of this as we go through our passage this morning. Where again in James, and the author of the book of James, he doesn't write out, identify who he is. If there's a gen general consensus among scholars that this is James, the brother of Jesus, 
Uh, Matthew provides a family tree for us in, in chapter 13, verse 55. He says this, is not, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and are his brothers James, Joseph, and Simon and Judas? Scripture tells us that James initially didn't believe who Jesus was. I have brothers, and so I can identify with this a little bit. John 7, 5 tells us, for not even his brothers believed in him. Although, and the story gets better, we understand that James finally accepts his brother as his Lord and Savior. And this could have been a result of him seeing Jesus' resurrection in 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 7. It says, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. At this point in James' life, we see he was dramatically changed. His heart and his drive for Jesus resulted in him, in him become the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And so in this book of James, we see his brother of Jesus, his brother of Jesus, writing to the believers, the Christians, the Jerusalem church. These Jewish Christians, they were scattered outside of the land of Israel, which we know by the way James identifies them in, in right in verse 1. He says the 12 tribes of the dispersion. These Jewish Christians, they had been scattered throughout this land due to the persecution. And so the theme throughout this book that I think James is trying to communicate to us is, and to these Jewish Christians is for them to believe, to have faith, to trust in God's word, in his love, and not in this world that they find themselves in. And James addresses the root of temptation right in chapter 1. In verse 14 he says, but, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then we get to James chapter 2. And we see him warning the recipients of this letter against showing partiality or favoritism in relation to other people. And he provides uh, an illustration of hosts, which provides, who provides special treatment and has favored the wealthy man by paying attention to him and giving him this great place to sit. And then the host instructs the poor man in verse 3, saying, You stand over there, sit on the floor by my feet. And sometimes we get into a place where we don't necessarily think that what we're doing is sinful or disobedient to what God has called us to. And I think this is where the Jerusalem church finds themselves today. They've begun to fail to put their faith into action. And as a result, have become double-minded people, which is what James is trying to address here. And I think as we enter into this new year, into 2024, let us consider this. Is this something that I think I need to resolve in my life? To navigate the tension of living for God and living for my own desires. And I think God provides us with instruction on how to combat that in our passage that we read this morning. So the question I think that we, we should consider and think about this morning is, how should I act knowing that I'm judged as those who are under the law that gives us freedom? I know that's a kind of a wordy question, but let's, let's look at that this morning. We see James writes in verses 8 and 9, he says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality... You're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So we see here, James is telling these Jewish Christians that following the royal law from Scripture, that's their standard. That's what they should be doing. Then he goes on to say that the act of favoritism is a sin 
which causes them to break this law. Does it shock you that this was a common concern that they were dealing with way back in the early church, this idea of favoritism? And does it shock you that this is an issue that we've sorted out in 2023? <laughs> I think the tension that we see in this verse that we've got going on here is the word law. The Greek word used here is nomos, which is generally translated as law. But James could have used some other words in here that could have maybe provided a little bit more clarity, like uh, ito, which is translated as commandment. But James was very specific. He used this word law. And it's a couple of thoughts as to why he would have used this in this situation. First, James could have used this word to reiterate that the law that he spoke about in verse 8, which could have been the case due to the focus of not showing favoritism that's evident in this section of scripture. He could also have been referring to the larger context of the Old Testament law, the Mosaic laws. Or he could have been referring to the idea of this royal law, a term which James uses a few times in this passage. This royal law idea is that he's referring to is the law of the king, which is Jesus. And what James is doing, he's trying to instruct his listeners that they're to follow the teachings or these new laws which have been given to them by Jesus. I think that last idea is why James uses that word law here. James being the brother of Jesus and a passionate and important member of the Jerusalem church, he would have been trying to direct the members of this church to follow the commands of Jesus. He would have been likely there when Jesus was tested by the Pharisees, when he was asked what the most important commandment was. And with Jesus responding in Matthew 22, 37, says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And so what James is trying to do here is to communicate that the sin of favoritism certainly breaks this command of loving your neighbor as yourself. So how do we try to be people who don't show favoritism? I think the first thing that we got to do is we got to recognize the situations in our lives where we're showing favoritism. It's so easy to, to push it aside and say, well, you know what, that's just me. Or that's just what we do. We've got to find instances and take an honest evaluation of how we treat those that we come in contact with. Then I think we need to equally serve those around us. Without bias, without disdain, without finger pointing, we help because the person around us needs help. And the last thing I think that we've got to do is with the same enthusiasm that we love and that we care and serve ourselves, we should love and care and serve others around us. I had a friend who lived in Bermuda at one point, and I really admired this friend because of how he interacted with the homeless people in town. These people who others would otherwise dismiss or mistreat or ignore, and I learned a lot from that friend over the years, how a believer should treat those who are without a home. Probably getting to, to know this person, I was taught how to treat homeless people by society. And we can see that just walking through town. This treatment will result in people ignoring them, really walking fast past them, telling them, you know what, I don't have nothing for you in a not so nice way, and a variety of other things. But a few years ago, I had this interaction 
where one of the homeless guys came up to me and asked me for some money for food. And uh, being a millennial, I don't carry cash. And, and so I was honest with him. I didn't have anything on me. But I told him, if you really wanted something, then let's go and I'll get you some food at one of the stores. While we waited as we went to this store for this meal, I got a glimpse of how, this, how the, our world treats this guy on a regular basis. The manager who was serving us just proceeded to tell this guy, you need to get a job, you need to stop begging people, and a whole host of other stuff. And this is what God was instructing us not to do in this passage. We get a great glimpse of this in Job 34, 18 to 19, where Elihu was saying of God, who says to a king, worthless one, and to nobles, wicked man, who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. See that God doesn't show partiality. And as his people, we should be following this example. John Piper sums up this idea really well when he says, make your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving. In other words, just as we love, care, and serve ourselves, we should love, care, and serve others. James also goes on to write in verses 10 to 11. He says, Forever, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who says, Do not commit adultery, also says, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So James here is providing a bit of a contradiction. How can someone think that they've kept the law by not breaking one law or one command, despite the fact that they've broken another law and another command. It sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? But coincidentally, many of us do this on a regular basis. How often do we justify one sin that we've committed because we've not done something else? And that something else is what we would deem worse. How often do you tell yourself, well, you know, at least I'm not like that, or at least I haven't done that, so how can we be people who do not act like they're perfect? I think the, the place to start is to realize and to remind ourselves that it's okay to show others that we struggle, especially within the confines of, of our fellowship of believers, our church. We need to make sure that we are honest with one another. And this is an era, in an era of, not, of being able to hold one another accountable. Not finger wagging, but to come alongside and to support each other. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. The second thing that I think that we could do is, is that the reality is that exhibiting perfection makes the Christian life seem unattainable to everybody. When we act as though we've got everything together, we appear to people, to others, in a way that they could never be. The reality is that we're continual works in progress, aren't we? And it's important that we communicate this to the people around us, especially those who we're trying to minister to, to, to share with them that this is the best life that they need to have, to share with them that, yes, we still struggle. There's no perfection here. The only perfection here is in Jesus. And the third thing I think we, need, we ought to do is we need to make sure that we don't fall into this trap 
of thinking that we are infallible. When we think we've arrived, when we've made it, when we act like we have everything under control, we deceive ourselves and we blind ourselves to the sin in our lives. We seem to be taught at a young age that we should show and, and externally this polished and, and almost perfect exterior. Especially in Bermuda, we gotta look sharp, dress well, say the right things, do whatever's appropriate to ensure that we fit into the confines of our surroundings. We're taught that we need to appear as though we've gotten everything under control. Social media doesn't make this easier either. In social media, we've got to show the best part of our lives to the world around us. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He's already sent a perfect spotless lamb for each one of us in Jesus Christ to be our perfection. And what God wants from us is to recognize our need for him. And an important aspect of this is to see our need for him in our lives. To see where we need God to move to help to guide us in the way that we should go in this life. So we've talked about how we should act as those who are judged under this law that's, that gives us freedom. And then we talked about how we should not act as people who are perfect. The last thing we're going to talk about this morning is that we should show mercy to others as we've been shown mercy. James writes in chapter, in verses 12 to 13, he says, So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. From this passage, the question you might be asking is, what is this law of freedom? that gives freedom. The freedom-giving law is the law of Christ, which provides us freedom from sin. All this through the gospel that Jesus brings. And what's required of us? The only thing that's required of us is belief. For us to put our faith and belief in Christ, in who he is. Jesus says in John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Has anybody ever shown mercy to somebody else? Again, I'd imagine that every hand would shoot in the air. As people who are broken and sinful, we tend to do or say things that get us in trouble, some of us more than others. And that requires us to show mercy. John gives an illustration of this in John 8, 2 to 11. It says, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. 
a familiar but wonderful example of mercy from our Lord and Savior. The Pharisees are correct in that the punishment for committing the sin of adultery was stoning based on the law that Moses brought. But this was for both parties. Both parties were supposed to be stoned in this instance. But the words and laws of Christ brings freedom to this woman. So how can we be people who show mercy to others? I think the first thing is that forgiveness is key. We're to forgive others as we've been forgiven. There's so many verses in the scripture that highlights this. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 tells us, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think we also ought to do in the, in the process of forgiveness to ensure to release any prior hurts that others have done to us. And this is a hard one. But harboring our prior hurts clouds our ability to show mercy to others. If we're dwelling on the past actions, we don't fully appreciate or allow our current situation to propel us forward to what Christ has in store for us. 1 Corinthians 13.5, love keeps no record of wrongs. And again, that's a difficult one for us, to release the hurts. But forgiveness is key. And I think we must ask God to assist us in seeking out people who we can show mercy to. Now, this isn't a call to simply find people to show mercy for the sake of showing mercy. But I think we ought to ask God for help. Because sometimes in situations, our minds are clouded and we can't see clearly people around us who need to be shown mercy. And when we do this, it's to show the glory of God in this situation, in a world that desperately needs it. A few years ago, again, I'm getting old when I keep saying a few years ago. <laughs> I had stopped to get some money out of the bank machine at Pageant Pharmacy. And I parked my bike just out in front of Ice Queen. And on, on my way out of the, the little booth where you get your cash, I noticed that my bike was on its side. It's not a great feeling when you come back to your bike and it's in that position. But there was a young lady who was on a bike with a child who was trying to maneuver out of the spot to get out of the, the, the parking lot there. And she hit one bike. And that bike fell into the other bike. It fell into the other bike. And seeing that the rider and child were okay, and knowing that I knew the rider, the person who pushed the bikes over, my thoughts shifted to, okay, what's damaged on my bike? And that's probably where most of our thoughts drift to right away. And I looked at my bike and I noticed there was just a couple of scratches. A couple of the plastics were bent a little bit. And at this, the world would tell me, you know what, I need to call the police. I need to make sure that I can get my bike back to the place that it was when I parked it. But seeing that this young lady was getting more grief from other riders uh, in that bunch of bikes that fell, I, I thought in that moment I needed to show her some mercy, to give her a little bit of break. This is not going to be a good day for her. And yes, this girl was guilty, and it would be right for me to get a bill to give it to her to get my possessions back to its rightful place. But this was an opportunity to show mercy. 
Jesus speaks on this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He tells the crowds who came to see him, and I believe for us this morning, that blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And that's an awesome thing to hear, isn't it? Christ tells us that if we show mercy to others, that we will receive mercy. And this isn't a maybe or a might be or any other wishful variation. This is a definite. You shall receive mercy. Christopher Columbus, to close this off, writes this. He says, I am a most noteworthy sinner, but I've cried out to the Lord for grace and mercy, and they have covered me completely. I found the sweetest consolation since I have made it my whole purpose to enjoy his marvelous presence. And I believe that this morning God is calling us to this through our passage. To be men and women who act as those who are judged according to the law that gives us freedom. And to go into this new year with that song in our heart. That sweet, wonderful freedom that only Jesus gives and I think our passage in James shows us by instructing us in these three things this morning. To act as people who desire to fulfill the royal law of loving our neighbors as ourselves. By recognizing that we're not perfect. By identifying with our brothers and sisters that we are God's work in progress. By showing mercy to others. By showing, to a, showing mercy to a world that desperately needs it. I believe that if we take heed of these things, then we are pointing ourselves in, in the direction of people who are judged under this sweet law that gives us freedom. And if you're a believer this morning, I would encourage you to press on towards this. Jesus' death and resurrection provides for us this freedom. And then if we, in that, if we believe in him, that we will be free from this trap of sin. Romans 10, 9 to 10 tells us, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you're sitting here this morning, if you've never confessed that or made a decision to follow Jesus, I'd encourage you to do what this verse says. Jesus is merciful. He loves and he desires you. And it's my prayer, it's our prayer that if you don't know him as your Lord and your personal Savior, then you would make that change this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for this reminder of your mercy and love to each one of us. And Father, I do pray, Lord, that we would consider these things as we go into 2024 today. Father, how you've asked us not to show favoritism. How you've asked us not to be people who exhibit that we're perfect. Lord, how you asked us to show mercy to a world that needs it. Father, help us with these things. Help us, God, when we think that we have it all together. That just because we're doing one thing and we're not doing the other, that we're okay. God, remind us not to be double-minded. Lord, as we mentioned at the beginning of our service this morning, help us as we take stock of what went on this last year, Lord. Help us to find 
moments in our lives where we've done these things, that, where we need to, to make a change. And Lord, I pray that we would ask you for wisdom and help to do it. God, we're so grateful and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.